I'm Kim. I'm Billy. We're best friends and we like talking about movies. And today we are talking about the Mandy Moore and Shane West romance, A Walk to Remember from 2002. And here we go. So um, this is not going to be a surprise to anyone who has been listening to this podcast for a while. But if you're brand new, um, I love romance movies. This is not a secret. And I was 15 years old when this movie came out. And I think this movie is in large part responsible for my obsession with the romance genre. And I think, hmm. and I was thinking about this as I put on the movie again uh, the other evening and I started watching it. And I truly think I've seen this movie at least 20 times. It Like, it's probably more, but it's definitely not less. So more than once a year. Well, when it first came out, too, I don't know that I saw it in theaters. I don't think I did, but I remember our DVD case. It had, like, a little snap cover. Like, right, it was right, broken right, right, right. by yeah. the end of it. But I, I must have rewatched it just an embarrassing number of times yeah. when we first got that DVD. This is a movie I just remember being on during high school. It was mm-hmm. on in my house often. My well, you sister have loved two younger movie. sisters. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I remember it being on just on the TV at high school parties. Mm-hmm. This, this movie was everywhere. It was hard to escape this movie if you were a teenager. And the funny thing, agree or disagree, I feel like as huge as this movie was and as huge as it was for people of our age, if you're even five years younger than us, this movie may not exist for you. <laughs> yeah, well, it probably doesn't, except it would like show up in weird listicle roundups from <laughs> right, BuzzFeed. Right, and you'd right. be like, what is that? Um, why is Mandy Moore and who's that guy? But uh, I was thinking, <laughs> I'm sorry, Shane West. I mean, really oh, and truly, for at least three years, I was in love with him. But um, I was thinking about this. I was seriously thinking about this as the movie started again. And like, again, I know all the words by heart. Uh, Why did this movie make such an impact on just, not just me, but you know, like... For sure. Our generation. And I think it's because, first of all, it was made for teenagers. It was specifically made with a PG-13 rating in mind, but it was targeted for teens. And... I think it's just when you're 15, like there are probably way cooler people out there who figured their shit out way earlier than I did as a teenager. But I think at 15, you are kind of just past the stage where when you say someone is your boyfriend or your girlfriend, they're actually just standing at the opposite end of the schoolyard and all you and your friends are just giggling about it. theoretically could mean something. Yeah. And like when you're 15 now, you're, it's you're seriously starting to think about relationships and the anxiety of not being in one or if you are in one, what are you supposed to be doing? What is it supposed to mean? And I think the reason why this movie resonated as hard as it did is because it completely feeds into all of the anxieties these young women had about finding that perfect partner, right? Jamie in this movie, as played by a deliberately sickly looking Mandy Moore, mm, is... I'm going to challenge you on deliberately <laughs> sickly looking. This is a problem I have running throughout these movies are okay. people who are terminal who look <laughs> A+. Plus. But All right. Well, finish your thought because I want to I add something to that. Wait, are you... I, when you brought up the terminal thing, I actually remembered a note from the DVD commentary, which I also watched a lot, and so I actually have something to say to that. Who's on the commentary? Is it Adam Shankman or? Uh, yeah, and Shane West, and I think man, there were two commentaries: one with okay. Nicholas Sparks, which I didn't actually listen to because he wasn't in the movie, so I didn't care. <laughs> Little did I know how he yeah. would impact my life at a later date. But um, 
What was I talking? You're talking about the importance of this movie to young women about the anxiety of either I want uh, the the anxiety of either I'm not in a relationship. Should I be in one? Or I'm in a relationship and what should I do? Or just like being a bit of a weirdo and not fitting in. And then all of a sudden this perfect, like perfect in quotation marks. Yes, please put the biggest scare quotes Very big quotation marks. But essentially like an attractive, very nice man who deeply sees you and cares about you just appears out of nowhere and he's everything you ever dreamed of and more. And that was like this romantic narrative that I think we had sort of been like primed for through all these Disney movies. And now we're 15 and it's writ large on the screen in front of us. And I think this movie broke my brain in some okay. ways. As I a think that's fair. I, I think it's interesting going back to it for me because I, I don't know, I guess I can't speak authoritatively on teen movies of today, but I get the feeling. Are there even teen movies well, today? <laughs> no, they're, they're the Marvel movies, right? Yeah. But that feeds into what I'm, about to say is that this movie comes from sort of the last era where movies were really gendered. Mm-hmm. Like this was a movie for girls. Teenage girls, yeah. Boys did not go see this in movie theaters for fear of being called bad Derogatory names. Right. names, yeah. And I get the vibe that sort of, at least in metropolitan Toronto where we're living now, is, mm-hmm. is kind of not the way it would work if something like that. Like I get the vibe that boys and girls are watching to all the boys I've loved before together in high school. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's not quite the same rigid divide between... Do you think I'm wrong on that? No, well, here's the thing. I was. Is I it was, just that I'm watching to all the boys I've loved before <laughs> and I'm assuming that 15-year-old men must be doing the same thing? I mean, I've also watched that movie an embarrassing number of times, but... <laughs> Over the age of 30, everyone. But um, I was actually going to say... Like I was going to make a, I was going to give you an answer to your question about what teenagers are doing, and then it, I suddenly realized I don't know what right. teens I, are I, doing I no anymore. <laughs> but, but I, I mean, I think it is largely true, right, that what teens are doing are going to see Captain America: Civil War and not this, and they're going all genders together, right? Yeah. Um. So what I found interesting going back to this is that I had a pretty rigid vision in my mind about the type of masculinity it was portraying in. Uh, Young Landon, mm-hmm. uh, that I I had problems with then and continue to have certain issues with now, but that there was actually a lot more going on. And I found this was, in kind of subtle ways, a pretty interesting depiction of what it's like to be a young man at that time and not being in a relationship and being anxious about mm-hmm. it or being in a relationship and having expectations on you. And, and, and um, truly, really enjoyed it on that level. Well, I'm excited to hear you talk more about that because, again, like just watching this, this is probably the first time I've seen this movie in a few years. Okay. Um, and like I did bring more of a critical lens to it. Uh, you've already seen a preview of one of my criticisms, and I think you have strong feelings about it. But I, I think, uh, Billy, I'll just say it took me at least 20 plus screenings of this film to get to that criticism in the first place. <laughs> So <laughs> I hmm. I think before we get into our critiques, whatever they may be, or observations, yep. we should actually not assume that everyone who's listening has seen this movie Do before. Do our plot recap. So I will just say, again, this is like someone putting on a favorite song of mine where I know every beat, I right. know every word, from the opening woo to the guitar going... The text on the screen flying apart with all the different names, which is a weird opening credit text choice, I would say, for this movie. Yes. Um, 
because the text on the poster is kind of perfect. Mm-hmm. It's a perfectly designed poster. Yeah. And uh, they should have carried that over to the opening credits. But yeah. What you going to do? Anyways, uh, I will never sing again, but... <laughs> Please do. I'm very excited. <laughs> well, I think this uh, episode, we're going to have a lot of opportunities I mean, to sing some songs. So legion. I take back my promise yep. immediately. But um, we are opening basically at what looks like a quarry. And... <laughs> <laughs> it, it is a non-distinct industrial area with water. Yes, and there are teens. Yes, and and very two thousand two era teens. Yes, and they're clearly the cool kids because they're 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 wearing like their it's the white shirt with the open plaid, yep. and they're a little bit swaggy. They and also all have amazing cars, but different types of amazing cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we have some vintage muscle cars, we have brand new SUVs. There's a lot going on there. Uh, fun fact. First fun fact of the podcast. Did you know that Shane West loved the car he'd he been given so much? He got to keep the 67 He bought it. Yeah. Yeah, for $5,000, which I think is a pretty sweet deal. Yeah. It's a great deal. Yeah. So anyways, these cool teens, they are... They're rolling up to the quarry. Yeah. And as they, one does. <laughs> and they are waiting for another teen who's not a cool teen to join them. And it becomes very clear very quickly that they're hazing him. Um, and that... I don't think they have any intention at all of including him in the group should he survive the hazing. And guess what? He nearly doesn't. And our hero, Shane West, playing a young man named Landon. What is Landon's last name? I forgot. Uh, I should know this. Oh, wow. Whitington. No, I'm, that's a joke. Um, it's not. Look, let's be honest. We're going to be calling them Shane West and Mandy Moore as we go through. Carter, this. how could Landon I forget Carter. that? Oh my god! So I'm where so are they? It's Beaumont. Is it? Is it? Is it West Virginia or North Carolina? It's North Carolina. Okay. Beaufort. Yep. All right. Um, can I jump in with two observations? Yes. I, of I don't want to disrail, derail us, but okay. So our cast of teens <laughs> here. We have Shane West. We have Clayne Crawford being very Clayne Crawfordy. By which I, I don't mean, know him very well. So Clayne Crawford uh, was on Rectify, where he was fantastic. Mm, was and he the criminal dude? No, he's he's. Um, it's clearly been a while since I've seen Justified. Rectify. Oh, different different <laughs> show, but also set okay. also set in the South with lots of criminals. So mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he he he's just a guy who owns a, a car dealership um, and has seething anger underneath him. He was then cast to be Riggs on um, the Lethal Weapon TV show, mm-hmm. and then if there was drama because it seems in real life, Clayne Crawford has some anger issues. Well, so. here's my second fun fact again from the DVD commentary. Clayne <laughs> uh, basically got himself cut out of most of the scenes he's in in the movie because. As you would know better than I do, um, with your impending marriage to an actor, um, when you um, are shooting Very a film, where this is going. you have to do everything the same way. Oh. Otherwise, the scene continuity yeah. doesn't work. And Clayne, that's his name, he kept moving stuff and doing different things every scene. And so the director, Adam Shankman, kind of took him by the shoulders. When Shanked him. Said <laughs> yeah. you're out. Just... Uh, Oh, boy. Well, so this is one of the things he got into trouble for on uh, Lethal Weapon is he was directing an episode, and I guess he kept changing up the fight choreography, and then really? people got hurt. I don't know. I think anyway. maybe someone needs to tell Clayne about improv. Maybe that's where, <laughs> that's where his it, it, uh, true skills lie, yeah. It's a tough one. It seems like he's got some issues to work out, but I I really like him as mm-hmm. a performer. Um, 
all I wanted to say about having both Clayne Crawford and Shane West in this movie is that um, I was watching this on Google Play, which has, you know, kind of the light x-ray feature of you pause and then they tell you identify. Stuff, yeah. Google kept confusing Clayne Crawford and Shane West, and it was making me laugh <laughs> so hard because they're, they're kind of similar. Mm-hmm. And then my first kind of like... With this movie is that the nerd shows up and he's this fucking supermodel out of Abercrombie and Fitch. Like he's a handsome cut dude who's supposed to be our nerd of the movie. Well, and I was angry about that until Eddie Zimmerhoff walked into oh, this movie, and are, I was like, "Okay, nope, movie, you've redeemed yourself." Okay, well, we we can't get to Eddie. Can't get quite to Eddie yet. just yet. I will say this about Nerd Kid. Yeah. Why can't I remember his name either? I am like, I've just completely discredited myself as an expert on this film. Oh boy. Clay. Clay Gephardt. That's his okay. name. Um, so I like Clay is uh he, you're absolutely right. He does belong in an Abercrombie and Finch like ad campaign. But what makes him a little bit different in this movie is he's kind of tall and lanky in a way that the rest of them aren't. There's just like sort of this like stockiness to Shane West and Clay and uh I don't know, just uh I guess L. Thompson too. Al, Al Thompson, who I found very funny in this movie, I got to say. Yeah. He's pretty great. <laughs> yeah. he he's. I think he was like the bright light of the film in terms of like when they were filming. He was just like the person that everyone liked the most. And like during the commentary, again, they kept being like, oh, yeah, and Al is so funny here. <laughs> it I'm sounds like he was fun. the most popular kid in the class. But um, we have completely gotten away. So there's a hazing the incident. Plot. Kid gets hurt. Shane is the only one who stays behind at the scene of the crime. Yeah, Landon. And- he- he dives into the water. My apologies, Landon. <laughs> We're getting into it now. We're getting into the plot. He dives into the water. And like the note I made for myself is presumably Clay has broken his back or something like that. It's super unclear. But he ends up in a hospital in traction, essentially unable to move for months. So I do assume it was something to do with his back or his See, spine. I thought it was like head trauma that he hit his head and now he's... Either way, they should yeah. not be dragging his body out no, of the water. No, 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 no. That was, <laughs> that was my first that thought. they did. Obviously, you got to roll him over <laughs> to get the face out of the water, but the way he's heaving this kid around, yeah, yeah, if there's a spinal like, injury. This is why oh, he's actually in that hospital yeah. months months in the future down the road of this cinematic universe. But, but so our point is uh, Shane Landon is the only <laughs> one who stays behind. He gets caught by the cops. He's the only one who gets uh, seemingly very light punishment because he kind of lies. He half lies his way Light punishment. Part of which includes he has to be in the school play. So up until this point. Well, no, Billy, you're skipping details because he has to do other things. He oh has to God. do community service. <laughs> And he has to do... Um, Is this what I was like on the Mission Impossible 2 episode? <laughs> <Yeah>, maybe. <laughs> no, I was right there with you All on right. Mission Impossible 2. But it's a, it's a lot of things. He basically just has to be more involved with his school, which includes volunteering on weekends and eventually being part of the school play. Mm-hmm. And through these activities, he comes into contact with a young woman he has known for basically their entire school careers, Jamie Sullivan, who um, is just made fun of by him and his friends because she's just a bit of an outsider and she has exactly one sweater. And I'll be honest, the sweater that she does have is hideous. Okay. (laughs) I thought it was fine. 
It would. I get. I think that sweater would sweater. be like cool in 2019. But it ironically. would be cool in 2019. But the way that she rocks it with like a very Amish. Uh, well, dresses. yeah. You put it over mm. the overalls. Mm-hmm. You got kind of a problem. Yeah. So she's the local preacher's daughter. Yes. And I get the vibe. Kind of everybody in this community knows everybody else. Like yeah. one of the things I found interesting is that Landon is actually going to church despite not being a believer and despite being high school age. Well, it's he's there the with kind his of mom. community that yeah. you go. Yeah, exactly. Church. It's just the expectation. And that's actually the first time we meet Jamie. And this was Mandy Moore's debut. And lest you forgot that Mandy Moore was a singer, or is a singer, I guess. Yeah. She's singing in the opening scene. In, in the choir. And mm-hmm. I think she's very good in this movie. I think she's very charming. Mm-hmm. This opening scene, she's in the choir, but she has like... Um, She's got like sexy eyes in the choir. She's doing like an on stage <laughs> performance thing. It's a little weird. So can I can I give you well, my Landon sees those eyes. Oh yeah. Oh no. I know. <laughs> he checks. She's them out. making them for Landon. <laughs> God is watching and yet she knows what she's doing. So here's my here's my feeling on this movie heading into it at this point when he's in the principal's office and uh, the guy's like, You're being punished by having to be in the school play. Kind of throwing up my hands a little bit. Because like I I sincerely can love a good story about a villain who needs to seek redemption or a bad guy who needs to make peace peace with his universe. Mm -hmm. But for personal reasons that are probably blindingly obvious, I'm having a hard time swallowing the pill of popular kid has to learn not to be an absolute bag of shit without really having to pay any price for it. And the fact that he's getting punished by getting to be the lead in the play that would really, I'm sure, is some do, other do nerd kids. Do we want to get there? I feel like we've skipped over some details. I think we just need to establish that... <laughs> My God. <laughs> no, there there are very important scenes that take place. I'm just going to be quiet. I'm going to sit back. I'm going to let you finish this. So first of all, we have missed our first two um, distinguished older actors. So uh, Landon, his mother, is played by none other, none other than Daryl Hannah, who, despite a lip collagen incident where it, like her lips are noticeably swelled at the beginning of the movie and by the end they are not as swelled, um, she's great. And then we also have Peter Coyote, who is Jamie's uh, father, and he's playing Reverend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I like, here's the thing, Billy, you were right to like skip ahead to the play. There's just like many nice little moments between Jamie and Landon as they are forced to interact with each other, as he is forced to basically, he's forced to do what she does willingly, which is volunteer time on the weekends to work with kids. She's part of a star club where he's like sweeping in the background. And then they tutor, uh, I guess just like younger teenagers and they have a moment on a school bus together where she's just ever. Oh, so nonchalantly carrying a Bible and they have like a weird little flippant joke about it. And then Landon says, or you, you don't care what people think of you. And Mandy Moore just says, no, walks away <laughs> and the look on Landon's face is he's like someone doesn't care what someone else thinks of them that's amazing and there's okay I'm just go like, on yeah. I'm I'm waiting <laughs> it's just like the, it's character development okay. it's like they're little moments you know they're circling one another like sharks and it's just it's very exciting yes she's kind of clearly into him just because She's like a little bit of a nerd who can't hide the heart on her sleeve. And he is very but much she's not the though, right? boy. She's not okay. into him. She is ticking off something on her list. I think it's uh, it's 42 or 22. It's one of the twos. 
is befriend someone you don't like. So I sort of, I sort of disagree with you. I think that's all a front. I think she's very into this kid from the start. I think you're not wrong. Okay. But I do think she starts off because she's very naive. She's very innocent. For sure. I think she gets into it going, sure, that Landon Carter sure is cute, but he's also a jerk. And it's not until he starts being nice to her that it's confusing to her. Okay. I think she has an objective appreciation for his physicality, but it's sure. not until All his right. attitude okay. starts All right. changing. Yeah, I'm not saying she's in love with him, but she clearly has a crush on this kid that I think is going back several months, if not years, in this mm-mm, small community mm-mm. of Disagree, theirs. disagree, strong right. disagree. I think, again, she objectively knows he's attractive, but she doesn't care a whit for him until he starts changing. Okay, you've never had a crush on someone who was attractive but an objectively terrible person? Well, obviously I, I have. I think that's what's going on for her. She's not going to make a I move. I think you and because... I have different definitions of crush. Like okay. for me, like there's like how many different Inuit words for the word snow? I have many different degrees of crush. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Okay. So let's fast forward to the play because I actually, again, it took me 20 plus screenings to get to this position. And again, it's been a few years since I saw the film last, but... Landon is cast as the lead role in what is probably the worst play of all time. Oh, it's, it's rough. <laughs> but before we even get to that, so the play is uh, Tommy the Gun Thornton or something like that. It's called Tommy the Gun. The main character is, yeah, Tommy, air quotes, the Gun Thornton. Yeah. It looks to be bad guys and dolls. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's written by Eddie Zimmerhoff. <laughs> A name I did not expect to hear in a Nicholas Sparks movie. He's a- Eddie Zimmerhoff, who, if Billy had to be any character <laughs> in a Nicholas Sparks movie, I would almost certainly be the Eddie Zimmerhoff <laughs> in the high school of their lives. Well, you might want to... No, actually, I was going to make a joke and then I take it back because I think my original theory stands. So the reason why Landon is cast in, in the lead role is clearly because someone likes him. Right, and at first I was like, "Well, it's going to be Eddie Zimmerhoff, ha, ha, Billy." But the way that Eddie glares at Landon, oh, Eddie hates this fucking guy, <laughs> I was and like, he's no, absolutely right too. He's like, "I spent my summer writing this very, very <laughs> bad play, and now you're giving it to someone who doesn't even want to be here." So allow me to submit my theory that the theater director. Miss Garber. Mm-hmm. The one who Al Thompson keeps uh, making sexualized comments about. Well, she clearly wants to make sexualized I think Al Thompson is right on the money. Landon. She is into Landon. <laughs> because there's no other reason you would give this kid the lead role you in a play imagine. where you were inviting the public. Also, he has like a bad track record. He's literally there by force. Why would you give him the lead? You role can in your imagine play? there was a staff meeting where the principal's like, "We got to come up with a punishment for Landon," and the drama teacher's hand just shoots up. So I'll, I'll do it. I got him. Or he was assigned her, and she went, At "Lead, last. <laughs> you will spend all the time with me." Yeah. <laughs> so um, essentially, Landon is so bad at the play, and again, no one decides to change their mind or reassess the decision to cast them as their lead. They just they're gonna stick with it. And so Landon gets to a point where he realizes he needs help. And so he goes to Jamie, who is also in the play, and she's been cast as a mysterious singer, Mm -hmm. um, and asks her for help learning his lines. And she agrees to it. But there's a rule. It's okay. (laughs) Okay. Kim is shutting (laughs) down right now. I honestly think this is why this movie broke my brain as a 15-year-old. 
there is a really <laughs> sweet and charming scene where they are in their high school. Like, it's just a hallway. Mm-hmm. Landon comes up to her, begs for help, and she says, sure, on one condition. And he goes, huh, what's that? And she says, you have to promise you won't fall in love with me. But we all know he's going to fall in love with her. And it's just so perfect and cute. So let's pause right here. Um, what I was surprised going back to this and, and say, anytime you do a movie about teenagers, mm-hmm. you almost never properly capture just how cruel and awful teenagers are. And I was surprised that this movie actually got there a little bit better than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. In this moment, though, there's just a 0% chance that he doesn't go back to his D-bag friends and he's like, <laughs> fucking freaky Christian girl just said this to me and then they're all teasing her in the locker room. I disagree, Billy. I think Landon knows better at this point and I think Landon is drawn to Jamie. He could have gone to Eddie for help. <laughs> I mean, he chose Jamie. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so I will also say around this, uh, it, well, it's right before this scene happens. Uh, she's driving him. Okay. Wait, just pause. Hang okay. on. She says to him, you have to promise not to love with me. You're going to tell me to my face. She doesn't have a crush on this kid. That is the thirstiest thing I've ever heard. I think at this if point- someone said that to me in the workplace, I would be filing an HR complaint. <laughs> well, if it was Landon Carter though, your version of a Landon Carter, if it was MJ, Coming up to you in the workplace and saying this, you'd be I like, I can promise yes. you we would not be getting married if on the first day I'd met MJ, she said, promise not to fall in love with me. Well, it's not the first I mean, day maybe, he's met you. Maybe it would have worked. Yeah. Maybe I should have tried this line more often in my younger life. Well, I think it would only work with your soulmate. But um, at this point, though, I, I stand by everything I said previously. Okay. I think Landon has demonstrated enough attitude adjustments and the fact that he is going to her for help she recognizes that he's trying to change and improve so yeah she's she's a little flirty a little flirty also like let it be known uh for those of you who again haven't obsessively watched this film or listened to the dvd commentary many many times uh mandy moore is the only actual teenager in this movie she uh she's 18 when they're shooting this okay how old was shane west he was 24 Oh, really? Because yeah. you know what? He looks-ish the part. Well, I think all of Landon's friends look like they're in their 20s. Clayne and Al Thompson look a little old. The the, the women, like Belinda, oh, sure. looks a little bit younger, yep. but also still 20s. Shane, though, has kind of a baby face to him. I disagree. I think it is a chiseled face. You should face. be very careful <laughs> <laughs> with where you take that comment. Eddie Zimmerhoff? Eddie Zimmerhoff wasn't a teenager? Eddie's I like that he's like face. four foot five. He's at least a full head shorter than anyone else yes. in this movie. Okay. <laughs> so, all right. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So, um, the what I'm just going to say right now is the best line in the film happens. Uh, okay. And then we get a next scene. Which Wait, is sorry. Actually, you're saying the best line in the movie is... Promise not to fall in love with me? I'm saying it right now, very okay. candidly. There are other lines I quite enjoy, but I think that's the line that makes this movie because then it gets I don't, like I'm not repeated gonna as a you. trope in like I'm, future movies. So, well, I, hang on. This movie didn't invent 
promise not to fall in love with me. In my 15-year-old brain, it, it did. did. Okay. <laughs> all right, all right, I'm going to give you that. I'm not, uh, you know what? I'm not going to argue with you. I think it probably is the best line in the movie. Okay, so the next scene. Because it shows how thirsty she is. All right, keep going. <laughs> keep going. She's very ill. Well, we don't know that yet. Anyways, okay. Um, <laughs> sorry. It's making her thirstier. That's the whole point. Okay. Okay, so ironically, I guess then if we're talking, okay, no, we're so ahead of ourselves. This is, this is all, I'm just very excited right now and this is all garbled I know, and gook. I know, We've made a promise to our listeners that we're not going to do the full plot recap anymore. Okay. So we can, we can zoom in and out and move as we please. So. There is no one who is listening to this episode who doesn't have a strong working knowledge of a walk to remember. Yes. This was everywhere. I never saw this movie start to finish and yet I knew this movie start to finish even when I sat down to watch it. Okay, fair point. So let's consider this one of the few episodes we'll be doing for experts. Okay. When we get to Knights and Rodanthe, <laughs> we'll pause and we'll give the whole... Okay. Yeah. So the graveyard scene happens um, and that's the scene in which uh, Jamie and Landon take it one big step closer to each other because it's mm-hmm. the first scene where they discuss faith. And the fact that Jamie has some and Landon can't believe that she has faith because... Well, it's actually a very philosophical conversation where he says the reason why he doesn't believe is because there's so much pain and suffering in the world. And then Jamie and like, forgive me if you can hear my eye roll through the microphone here. Without suffering, there'd be no compassion. And then Landon comes in with, we'll tell that to those who suffer. And then Jamie just goes, and then it cuts to the next scene. So, So, I mean, like, score one, Landon. I will say that I was very surprised how well the Christian themes in this movie worked for me. And we can talk about that now or we can talk about it later. I think we should talk about it later. Okay. Because we'll get derailed completely if we get into that right now. I mean, feel free to disagree. Go for it. You get out whatever you have to get out. I am clearly holding up a very... Important well, spiritual process for you. Well, there's just like, there's more spiritual stuff that yeah. happens in this movie very explicitly so. So graveyard scene happens, yeah. faith is established, Landon's looking her up in the scroll year- yearbook where her ambition is to witness a miracle, mm-hmm. which is again like spiritually tied. And then there is, what what's the next scene after that? Well, because of my rambling, what we did skip over is Landon learns she has this list of things she's trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And he says, what's your number? And they're all weird things. Like, I want to be in two places at once. Befriend I wanna, someone she doesn't yeah. like. Yeah. Uh, and he says, what's your number one? And she says, I can't tell you. And then he looks up the yearbook. And are we meant to understand that that's what her number one thing on her list is to witness a miracle? Billy, we know what her number one thing is. What is it? It's revealed to... Billy! Did you not watch this movie? Okay, I'm getting angry here. What? <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, we're going to continue our plot recap because oh it's my God. going to this be revealed to you. You missed it. You missed your big me. number one. <laughs> okay. So um, the next big thing that happens is Landon disappoints. Uh, Jamie, like he and Jamie are getting into a more friendly space with one another. And then she walks up to him one day at school and says, I'll see you after school, Carter. And he goes, in your dreams. And then the friends laugh at her and she's very angry and confused and walks away. He rushes to her house after school and is like, I'm sorry, forgive me. And she's all like, mm got no time for it. And like gives him a death stare and then closes the door in his face. And now we get a montage where it's just him basically 
I don't know, trying to redeem himself by learning his lines for the play. So he's a knockout at the play. And then it's all of a sudden, it's the play. And it looks awful. And the only good thing about the play is the shot of uh, Eric is his character's name. Uh, like just fully asleep while the play is going on. That that did make that me laugh. That was pretty funny. Yeah. But the, the, the play is, the whole point of the play is so we finally see Mandy Moore looking like the completely gorgeous human being that she is. She's got her hair done. She's got her makeup on. She's wearing this knockout dress. And she walks onto the stage and Landon's breath is literally taken away. And he says to her, you're beautiful. And it's clear that he's saying it sincerely from the heart. And Mandy Moore is a little bit taken aback, but then it's time for her solo. And again, I'm calling her Mandy Moore because she is it's basically a two-minute music video in the middle of this movie. It's very long. Yes, it is a full musical performance. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, he kisses her. And I won't lie, my note just says E. <laughs> Lots of capitalized E's. But then you also have Peter Coyote in the background who's looking very concerned. The little baby up there on the stage getting kissed by Landon Carter. Yes, he is not happy. I feel like I've been... Uh, Really reliving this movie? I don't know what you want me to do, because you don't want me to offer commentary, and you don't want me to interrupt your plot summary, so I'm just no, letting you, can you offer go. commentary. Go ahead. Offer commentary. Uh, no, please. Keep going. We're good. Okay, so after the... Yeah. <laughs> I'm enjoying myself. Okay. Um, Landon's dad has shown up, yes. so his parents are divorced, and mm-hmm. Landon clearly blames his father. He left us, Mom, he says. Uh, so he's living with this other woman. Which his mom makes clear is... She doesn't really see it that way. Well, she's not holding on to the same kind of anger. She's forgiven him. She's let it go. Yeah. And Landon hasn't yet. And, um, you know, like he walks away from his father and his father's like, don't walk away, Landon. And Landon's all like, you taught me you how. Taught me how. It's a good line. It is a good this line. going to be one of, my, one of my candidates for best line. Yep. Um, and then um, he, like the next big thing, the next big scene that comes is, when Landon reapproaches Jamie and he's all like, uh, hey, I want to hang out with you. And she's all like, no, but she's very violent about it. And then he's like, hey, you know why? You're scared because you want to be with me too. And she's all like, what? And then uh, like, we get the next scene, which is the mean friends like putting together the worst prank of all time. Yeah, this was an interesting flashback to the year 2002. Did this happen at your high school at all? Where people would fake Photoshop faces onto other people and then hand them out as... No. Is that something that happened at your high school? Not quite like that. I remember some guy got expelled or suspended or something for putting another dude's face. He he made a poster where like uh, there was a a target on the guy's face and they put him in all the urinals. Um, Yeah, I mean... (laughs) No, it was terrible. It, It was terrible, but both dudes were terrible. Like, it was not... This was not what we see in the movie of one-sided bullying. It was two guys in the middle of, like, being assholes to each other. Right. And then one guy pushed it too far and got expelled. Um, It is so funny to think of a time where if you were going to Photoshop something, you then had to go to the step of printing it out and distributing (laughs) it. As opposed to... It just goes up on Twitter and then. And the thing that made me laugh so hard about that scene is like they've got like some sort of like spy music going on in the background. It's also a terrible Photoshop. It's terrible. It's so they, bad. They, they really, they did not work hard enough on that Photoshop. And so it's just like it kind of undercuts the gravitas of the scene where, well, first of all, in the movie, um, 
It was supposed to be a naked body on the flyer with Mandy Moore's face terribly photoshopped mm-hmm. onto there. But then to keep the PG-13 rating, they had to paint a bathing suit on onto the woman. Um, How interesting. I didn't notice that. <laughs> it's a fun fact. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, anyways, it's... You're right. Now that I think about that, that's way too tame for teenagers. Like if you're going to go to the trouble of doing that, you would... Yeah, like it's just push like... Push it farther than that. It's stupid, but we get the... Like it... We get the scene where now it's the make or break with Landon and his old friends, and he chooses Jamie, and he mm-hmm. punches. Clane. Punches Clane. Dex Clane. Puts a very protective arm around. Jamie walks her out, takes her home, and Mandy Moore is giving, like, I think her first uh, sob performance in a movie, and mm-hmm. she's doing it very well, very convincingly, and then uh, he asks her out, and she says she's not allowed to date. And so Landon goes to Peter Coyote and asks for permission. And very, let's just fast forward to them just having the cutest well, date of all specifically, time. Specifically, he uses scripture against Peter Coyote. <laughs> he he tries to use his own preachings against him. Take that, Reverend yeah. Sullivan. Which is our first indication that uh, Landon is wrestling with faith more than we might have assumed based on his earlier dismissive takes. Do you think he's wrestling with faith right now, or he's just? understanding that it's important to Jamie and to the Reverend? Um, Maybe both, right? Um, I think, so he's not just a like, I don't care teenager when Mm -hmm. it comes to faith. He clearly has thoughts about it, such as if I can't prove it scientifically, it can't be real. It's it's something he's thought about. I'm I'm not saying he's veering towards faith. I'm saying even in dismissing it, he has thought about it a lot. And clearly he hasn't ignored the teachings going on in the church he's attending each week, right? He mm-hmm. is taking them in and maybe finding reasons to disagree with them in his head. But it's, it's I, think, I think it's more meaningful to him than uh, he lets on at first. Okay. Well, this seems like a good opportunity to kind of, kind of get more into that subject. Is there anything else that you wanted to say? Well, so... <laughs> So, it's interesting. I think this movie doesn't shy away from some of the more problematic aspects of the type of faith that is being practiced in this community, Mm -hmm. such as the, uh, I own and protect my daughter and you can't date her, (laughs) right? And it doesn't judge that too heavily, but the movie clearly takes a side on that issue and, and, you know, stands against it. I also think as much as these kids are awful shitheads who deserve a far worse punishment than they actually receive. Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of gross how the whole community has to go to church together and the preacher stands up there and shames these kids in front of everybody. Like, I don't think that's restorative justice. But what I thought was kind of interesting is that without going into any of this in too much detail, they give you a very subtle but very clear theme that faith in God or faith in God's love is not so different from faith in the love of another human being. Oh, yeah, that's and that's the point of this movie. I thought it was surprisingly effective and surprisingly sweet, and I like that at the end of the movie, we have no indication that Shane has come around to believing in God, but he gets what... Jamie? Jamie's your name? Yeah. He gets what <laughs> Jamie finds appealing about faith and they have this kind of stalemate or this equilibrium where she's allowed to believe what she believes. He believes what he believes, but there is a shared experience of understanding faith in some other entities love. And it's, I don't know, it's very sweet. I found that very moving. 
I think you said it perfectly. I would just compliment what you've said by saying I think it's a it's a sliding scale and Jamie like both Jamie and okay. Landon like are on the same playing field. They're just on different edges of it. So okay. Jamie is like it the the line is love and Jamie's at one extreme where love equals god. And Shane is like, he could maybe get there one day, but there's something that's, I I think it's just his rationality. You know, they're suffering in the world and I can't get past that. So he is going to stop and stay on his side of the field, but they're still like, they're still in the same place. Okay. They're in two places at once. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And then, I mean, that's it, right? Like, despite the fact that she's a preacher's daughter, the movie's not going to hit us over the head with anything stronger than that. It's not going to veer into full-on religious polemic. These are still teenagers who have teenage desires, and that kind of gets to play out. And I I, I don't know. I, I was expecting to hate this because I had a vivid memory of this movie being all about a kid who believes in God who convinces other kids to believe in God and, mm-hmm. and fixes them. And that's actually not what's going on here. No. And I, I thought it was just a respectful way of seeing that people with different religious beliefs can love each other and come together. And like, look, I'll be, I'll, I'll get personal here. I'll get a little personal. I, you know, I, I come from an interfaith house where my parents believe two radically different things, right? And so, I, I guess I found this kind of, kind of, kind of sweet. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to weigh us down in sentimentality or anything but like this is where like you see all of these interfaith organizations that um you know like religion all boils down to the same thing love, right, right, right right um the golden rule and yeah, yeah exactly like just be kind to one another mm-hmm. and um i i think probably the most interesting theological moment in the movie is when okay i'm going to let go of my relished reliving of each scene of the film (laughs) and trust that everyone has actually seen this multiple times like I have. Um, So Jamie reveals as she and Landon are now in this lovely relationship with one another where they respect one another. We're we're basically at that point anyway, right? They go on their date where they cross off a bunch of different things on her list, some of which are very cheats. Like standing on the border between two states is not being in two places at once. Penny Penny disagrees. agrees. (laughs) No, No, she disagrees. She's my cat. She also. I've never seen a temporary <laughs> tattoo work that well. Do you remember trying to use temporary tattoos? Also, I've get... never seen a temporary tattoo be so sensual. And like, it's a dumb tattoo. Like, it's a very no, silly. I'm with tattoo. you when she beca- because she is so chaste and always wearing nine different layers. It's when she like, kind of bears her shoulder, it's like I was, whoa, I was, whoa, shoulder. Steamy. Yeah. <laughs> I guess my grandma also, was right. Where did he have a wet rag in his car? <laughs> <laughs> That threw me for a loop. Maybe he was carrying it in his disc man that has a shoulder strap. Did you catch that? I think he My did have like a little right. cup of water, but again, it's like, like why the cup? Why not about anyway? He knew. He knew. He wanted some of that shoulder action. Yeah. He planned ahead. So, um, she and uh, Landon are walking around, and uh, he's asking her what her plans are for, like, like what are you going to do after high school? And she is getting a little grumpy. We've never seen her this mm-hmm. grumpy before. And then she sort of bursts out at him that she's not going anywhere after school, and then she's in tears. She has leukemia. And well, wait a minute. Something very important happens before that. What? He breaks the rule. Because ah, I, thought, it. I we, thought the we, whole reason she reveals it is he says, 
stop, I'm in love with you. And she's like, you weren't supposed to do this. No, no, no. That you doesn't the happen rule in this scene. Because that in this she scene. didn't want a reason to be angry at God. She'd made peace with her death. We, we, wait, stop. We, ha- we have to go back to the date because we're not done yet. Um, so uh, after the cheesy two places at once, sexy shoulder, whatever thing, they are walking on a pier. And this is where they have another conversation about Jamie's faith. Mm-hmm. And she's just basically like, I can't see it, but I feel it. It's like the wind. Right. And then like, <laughs> all I can hear is that song in the background. Do you know what song I mean? She's like the wind. Patrick right. Swayze. <laughs> right. And it's, and I mean, this is, this is the stuff where I, I do start to get a little itchy because it's going to, in the real world, this leads to very frustrating debates between people over faith mm-hmm. because like the scientist response is, you can't see the wind, but it is objectively verifiable, right? I can yeah. put up a thing. We can see it move things. We can hear it. We can, you know? And and I, I, these metaphors start to anger me, but they're going to use it in a really sweet and, and like moving way. Maybe at a different time, a different place, Landon would have had the exact same right. thoughts as you, except he's now looking at Jamie, mm-hmm. and he has fallen in love with her, and he says to her, I might kiss you, and she looks at him with like these big doe eyes. What and if I'm said, bad at she it? She said, I might be bad at it. And then That's he's like... <laughs> and again, 15-year-old me, just like internally screaming. No, this is pretty sweet. I'm, <laughs> I'm with you. This, this is well done. And then he says, Jamie, I love you, and she comes back with the great you know, I told you not to fall in love with me. And mm-hmm. then they they smooch a very tiny bit, and then it's like a, sh- a forehead kiss <laughs> after that. Yes. So it's yes. not uh, – Jamie is still quite chase. Um, and then uh, they proceed to have a bunch of cute more dates where he's like named a star after her. But like fast forward, fast forward, fast forward to w- – they're now walking through town. He is asking about her future – and she is clearly very upset. We've mm-hmm. not seen Jamie this grumpy before. And she just kind of bursts out at him that she doesn't, she's not planning for after school because tears, she has leukemia. Mm-hmm. And she was fine with it. She had accepted it. She'd stopped her responding to treatments two years prior. But now she's in love with Landon and she does not need a reason to be angry with God. And then she runs away. No. Yeah. This I found a little, the community is so small, mm-hmm. like they're all going to church together. The idea that she went through cancer treatment twice and no one noticed is a little tough for me. That is a giant plot hole. I think the but way they get around okay. it is she's a loner anyway. She's invisible. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. It's not a great <laughs> No, 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 it's fair. And I mean, I think, so am I completely wrong in thinking that the novel is set in the 1950s? It is. Okay. This, that, that to me felt like something that, and may, maybe I'm just projecting here, but that makes a lot more sense in the 1950s, mm-hmm. that that kind of thing would be secret. Whereas in 2002, I, I mean, surely, surely you had people at school who had cancer, right? It's a very public thing. People tend to know the community rallies around mm-hmm. it. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It felt odd, but that's okay. That's it's not it is not germane to the story they're telling and we will let that. Yeah, again, slide. like we could come up with other reasons like she and her father were so close and her father probably like used whatever power he had to protect his daughter and like keep her like out of whatever spotlight existed in their town. But like that's not neither important. here nor we'll there. Leave it behind. Because the very next scene just, is I, the scene 
that broke me, like cracked my heart open as, again, this (laughs) vulnerable 15-year-old who is learning how to be in the world. Uh, Switchfoot, we haven't talked about Switchfoot yet. Well, and I'm nervous, too, because when I brought up my feelings of Switchfoot, you got mad at me. (laughs) Wait, what, what did I get mad at? Um, they're not my favorite band. They're not my favorite band. I'm just saying uh, but Dare, Dare You, you to move, move, you seem to have a relationship with. Because my relationship with this song is watching Shane West play Landon Carter in a car, crying as he realizes the woman he loves is going to die. So much like Jamie has a relationship with God that Landon can't fully appreciate... I'm going to have to leave you and Switchfoot on that side of the table. Not Switchfoot. The not, song Dare You to Move. I, I got nothing against the fine gentleman in Switchfoot. This, like, I, I the hear... entire, I gotta, so I got to be honest with you, the entire soundtrack to this movie, which is pretty great. For 2002, yeah. Is kind of salted earth for me because <laughs> this was played in my household a lot to the point where they could drive a young man crazy. <laughs> So this and uh, the what is it the only what whatever only the, hope whatever the only hope the the Tommy Gunn song is, um, it, what's the so one that funny you is called it's called a walk to remember last week. No, I called the song that plays at the end of the movie a walk to remember. Okay, because um, that was the one my sister liked more than Only Hope. What's so funny about the play is that it's so poorly re- they've nailed what high school playwriting looks like, <laughs> and yet there's a professionally produced. Like top of the charts pop song right in the middle of it. So so that's the other note that I made for myself. And I was like, oh, don't be a dick. But um, if this is truly set in Prohibition era, and clearly Eddie Zimmerhoff cares a lot about getting it right, which is why he hates that Landon's been cast in as the lead in his beautiful play, this song is anachronistic, Billy, for the time period. Why isn't she vamping? Why isn't she covering, like, I don't know, Ella Fitzgerald or sure, something like sure. that. Like, not that Mandy Moore could ever I'm do I'm trying that. to no look can. up if in the novel Eddie Zimmerhoff is a character. I don't. Because the name stands out so distinctly amongst, <laughs> like, there is a pattern of character names for Nicholas Sparks why novels, right? Why does this name resonate with you so much, Billy? Well, first. Let's spell it out for everyone. Um, well, so I went, so Zimmerhoff is confusing. I don't know that we can say that he is the first Nicholas Sparks Jew, but like there's an <laughs> indication that that's what it is. My relationship with Eddie Zimmerhoff, I'm going to continue to investigate okay. and I will come back <laughs> later with my findings. I feel like it has to be an addition from in the screenplay. I don't know. Hegbert Sullivan? That can't be his first name. Jamie's father? What are you doing? Eric Hunter. Reverend Sullivan. Oh, okay. In the book, he's Eddie Jones. Oh. And in the book, it's Hegbert feeling- Sullivan. Oh. This is Wikipedia, so who knows? <laughs> wow. Okay. Digression. Digression. We just went Go on back. a journey here, Billy. I will spend There are the no week... boats in this movie, and so you had to spend- Excuse me. There are boats in this movie, oh but God. we'll get there. Um, we, I, will, I will examine how Eddie Jones became Eddie Zimmerhoff on my own time okay. and report back next week. Okay. All right. Okay. So I don't think there's actually much else to talk about in terms of plot- it um, it really starts rapidly. Time starts speeding up now. Yeah, like Jamie reveals her number one is to be married in the church where her mother grew up. How did I miss that? Yeah, how did you miss when that? When did she say that? It's when um they're having like a picnic. You date. are so. I've never seen you mad at me. I just in I'm not quite this way. Mad at you? I'm just. A you're bit, li- I mean, I know I have no 
legs to stand on here. I have admitted on this podcast many a time that I have fully missed scenes because I've been scrolling on my phone. So when <laughs> when does watching. when does she say this? Um, it's definitely the poster image. You know the poster where he's like holding, holding her phone. Yeah. yeah, it's that scene. I'm pretty sure, but it's When's um, that scene. <laughs> it's when they uh, stay up all night to watch oh, uh, in the graveyard? star come up around Pluto. Okay, so while we're talking about this scene. Mm-hmm. You want me to get my, like, uh, take on masculinity out of the way here? Uh, I don't want you to get it out of the way. I want, I welcome it. Okay, let's welcome it. So, I had some thoughts here. Um, There is a scene early on in the movie where Landon is being dropped off. Landon is dropping off his ex-girlfriend at her parents' house. Belinda. Belinda. Speaking of fun names. Belinda Blinks. (laughs) I don't know where I, I thought I had more of a joke, but I'm going to have to cut that out. Well, Belinda tries to blink. (laughs) With him, because she says, my parents aren't home. Uh, do you want to come in? And my first, he says, no, we're broken up. We talked about this. And my first thought upon watching this was like, the fuck out of here, Christian movie. Like, mm. if they've hooked up before, I remember teenage couples in high school who would break up and kept getting back together for no other reason than they were left alone in a room at a party. And when you're that age, if there's someone you've made out with before, you just make out with them again because there's opportunity. Mm-mm, the Billy. idea that he's passing it up. Well, hang on, hang on. Well, so I'm about to go with you there. And then as the movie went on, I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe they're still virgins. Like maybe they weren't hooking up because we get to the graveyard and every character in this movie has been telling us that Landon is going to be aggressive. He's going to have expectations. I think that's Hegwart's word. He says. (laughs) Reverend? You mean Reverend Tolvin? If your name is Hegbert, you say that every opportunity you have. It's not said at all in the movie. Well, it's like the wind. I feel it. (laughs) Patrick Swayze was really unappreciated as a musician. I'm just going to say that right here, right now. What? She's like the wind. Is this song by Patrick Swayze? Oh, oh, sorry. Okay, I didn't go with you. So (laughs) then we're... we're, we're in the graveyard, and he pulls out a blanket. He's like, we're going to spend the whole night here. And she's like, did you plan this? And he's like, don't worry, I brought a second blanket. No, he says, oh, I hoped for it. Right. But it's very sweet. It's not at all predatory. Right, exactly. And then, you know, I, 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 when I put those two scenes together, I was like, maybe this movie is showing us, without hitting us over the head at it, maybe just hinting at that he is a teenage guy who is just as nervous about sex or issues of sex as um jamie is and it's not something you see in movies a lot you often see the like horn dog teenage guy mm-hmm. but in the real world there are plenty of young dudes who are just as scared and just as trepidatious and i thought that was super fucking interesting so it's a very interesting reading of that scene i'm not saying you're wrong you're I'm- thinking he 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 and belinda were no well i think he and belinda probably most definitely did hook up okay um, I think Landon is a lot more experienced than Jamie is, but I think one of the sure. things that makes Landon so endearing is that he completely sees and understands and loves Jamie. And so what makes that scene so cute is, you know, when uh, Jamie's kind of giving him the side eye when she's like, oh, you you planned for this for us to be out oh, all night. Thermos of coffee. Um, yeah, he's like, she says to him, are you trying to seduce me? And he says, are you seducible? And she does her cute little, nah, and then he's like, Ergo, second blanket for me. And then he moves over and it's separate. And I mean, like, if he is being a dog, like, she comes right to him. But that's not what he's doing at all. He is just genuinely respecting her wishes and her boundaries. And she sees that. 
And again, like I think I, I'm not saying your reading of that scene is wrong. I'm I'm reading it as someone who has been down the path of having sex, but has not okay. been in love before. And he is in love with Jamie. And so because he loves her purely, he is putting her in front of him. And it's like, I'm sure if she said, yes, I am seducible, he'd be like, hot dog. Right. And like right there in the graveyard, stuff's going down. Right. But she's not. And so he's just happy and content to make her happy and content. Either way, I just, I thought it was an interesting take. That yeah. is not commonly seen I on think the screen. You were so distracted by that that you missed her revealing what number one was on her list. Okay. You were probably writing your notes about masculinity, as she said. Probably. <laughs> to marry in the church where my mother grew up. How is that number one? Like, isn't that just something that happens to everybody in this community? You just marry in the church where you're... Well... I, you know what? Who am I to shit talk the dying girl's number one wish? That's completely <laughs> fair. Okay, good and for And also, her. if she knew she was dying, we don't know when she made this, this list. You know what? I'm actually really glad I know that because it actually makes his proposal later on make a little more sense. I'm not saying I had a problem with it without knowing that. It's just... It Billy, feels... I can't believe you missed that. Okay. <laughs> I came here... With such a willingness to engage with this movie and have thoughts on it that you're going to have to forgive me that I haven't seen this 20 times. That's okay. And I'm sorry. I know I'm being weird about this movie. I just, I didn't realize, again, how much it was a part of my psyche. Right. Okay. I'm not saying it's a good thing. It's There's definitely some stuff about this movie where I'm like, oh boy, but. Okay. Anyways, she dies after they have a beautiful wedding. And then we get in sort of like a coda scene at the very end um, where... Well, so I don't want to... I, I kind of... I, this is actually the part of the movie I don't want to rush over. Is, okay. Is like the la it's like 10 minutes where Landon is running around trying to check off all these things from her list. He's building a telescope for her. Yeah. Um, at the same time, he is just growing himself. He's deciding he wants to go to medical school. He's made a list himself. Yeah. yeah. And I thought... By and large, the handling of him coming to terms with the fact that she's going to die was handled pretty well. Mm -hmm. I have mentioned before on this podcast, I don't like stories about terminal illness. It is not <laughs> my thing. But if you're going to do it, I do get a little frustrated if, I don't know if it's romanticized in any way, shape, or form. And so I got to say... They get married, and then he, well, off it, screen, we just hear him say... Well, before we get there, though, just to build on okay. the point that you're saying, because I I was being too detailed before, and so I jumped over a bunch of details, okay. but she does fall ill. Yes. Like, after the reveal is made that she has leukemia, um, she is put in hospital for mm -hmm. a little bit, and um, I suppose if you were going to have a... I don't think it's a romantic... Well, it's a very romantic scene but they're not romanticizing her illness i don't think anyways and i'd like to hear your thoughts on the scene where she's lying ill in bed and she gives landon the book that she's been her commonplace book yeah um the book where she writes down all of her like quotes and thoughts and um they read um a psalm together love right. is patient love is kind sorry so i'm on board with is all that a of psalm? this um I, it's a Bible reading. Or, i don't know <laughs> It's it's a reading from Corinthians. How could I yeah, forget first, that? Yeah. Yeah, okay. No, sorry. I should make myself clear. I'm I'm actually pretty okay with everything up until the wedding. Okay. I, I dug it. 
then what happens is as we are we the viewer are looking at the chapel where they're getting married we have a voiceover from Landon that says then we had one we had our we had a perfect summer together a perfect summer together um and then she went mm-hmm. which i i got to be honest is frustrated the shit out of me um i it is common when people lose loved ones mm-hmm. that they tell a version of the story that is important to them. Mm-hmm. That sounds something like we had a one last perfect summer together. And I don't want to take that away from Landon and Jamie, especially if it's important to Landon. What is frustrating is that in the real world, if she died that soon, that last summer would have been very difficult, right? It would have been awful, yeah. What, what would have happened in those months would have been so painful. And for him to love someone so strongly at such a young age and to make such a promise to her and to lose her, that would have been devastating to him. And we kind of gloss over, we gloss over all of that. And it's not the story they're trying to tell. And so part of me is saying like, I, it's always a shitty criticism to say, this wasn't the story I wanted it to be. They're trying to say something else. I just, I was surprised at how thoughtful the depiction of their relationship while she was ill was that the fact that we don't see her die, that we don't see their married life together. I, 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 f- I found it a little frustrating. I can, I can completely understand why. So I have two responses for your consideration. Um, the first one I will limit to this movie universe. Okay. Um, perhaps the reason why he just simply glosses it over and says she went is because she did have a traumatic final summer as she was dying. And right. that's not the narrative that Landon wants to hold for right. himself. And so what we're hearing actually is like deep pain when okay. he says, and then she went because like in those few words, there is obviously a very sad story. Um, I will break us out of the film and say in the book, the one thing I do know about the book, um, that is because it was written about a lot when the movie came out, um, in the book, it's it's ambiguous whether or not she lives or she dies. And oh. I don't know if you knew this, but um, Nicholas Sparks's sister actually died of cancer. And okay. so this book was largely inspired by her and her relationship with her husband. Okay. And in the book, he deliberately made it um, ambiguous about whether or not she lived or died because there's a famous quote of him saying, and I'm paraphrasing here because it's from memory, but he wanted the reader to feel as though, as he had felt um, about his sister at that time, he, he hoped she would be okay. And so the ending is it gives you permission to hope that she's going to be okay. So for them to... I got to say I like that a lot better. Yeah. But I don't know. Like we could talk about why they chose to make it definitive that she died. I think it's because in the movie, the movie is very much about Landon's character development. Sure. And... I don't think we get the full arc of Landon's character development unless we see him post Jamie. Like, what is he doing a few years down the road? And that's what the whole end scene is, right? Yeah. He is this better person now because of Jamie. And I liked the end scene. I, I was I was into that. I, I don't know what I wanted other than something that would take another two hours for this movie to tell, you know? Like, it's not, it's not something you're, they're going to be able to shoehorn in at the end. I, I almost think it would have been more effective if there wasn't the voiceover, if you mm. just cut from the church to him coming up to the, 
to see Peter Coyote again. I don't know. This is ultimately a minor quibble. It's just the kind of thing that I have this aversion to these certain types of stories. Mm -hmm. And when that kind of thing happens, it just, it makes me feel uncomfortable. It makes me feel a little icky. And um, I thought they were walking, they were really keeping a nice balance to this movie up until that point. And that's when I just felt it like slipped a little bit into too sweet, too easy. Mm. So, so you want me to break you out of that serious mode here with Please the question I've been dying to do. ask you? And I will say, Who's I the woman with Peter Coyote at the end. <laughs> I think she's actually just his caretaker. Right? Is he in a <laughs> is he in a nursing home? No, he's still in the home that he oh, had with okay. Jamie, and it's actually quite devastating when you think about the fact that he is all alone in the world now, yeah. save for the occasional visit from Landon and clearly the caretaker who right. is making sure he doesn't fall down. Yeah. Yeah. So here Coyote's a young man though. Like that's the <laughs> thing. I was confused by that. Well, he's clearly had something taken out sure. of him. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not trying to be jokey about the fact that the man lost his wife and his daughter. Oh boy. Yeah. Okay. I'm done. I'm done. Please, please, what is your question? <laughs> I'm just digging myself into a deeper hole here, but I'm doing it deliberately. Billy. Yeah. Do you think that Jamie and Landon banged? Oh, of course they did. No, 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 of course they did. And I think the movie is kind of honest about the fact that, like, they're teenagers. Like, of mm-hmm. course they want to hook up, but she has religious beliefs, and he respects those beliefs. And I actually find that that is I, – I mean, if I'm being perfectly honest with you, it makes the marriage a little more understandable to me in terms mm-hmm. of why he's kind of gung-ho and game for it. And I think it's kind of sweet. I mean, No, 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 wait. Don't go down that thought path because the extension of that thought path is Landon is like, oh, if we get married, I get to bang her, and then she dies? Like, no. So I – I think you can keep the facts of what you just said the same and still have it be sweet. They are in love with each other and that has an emotional component and a Mm -hmm. physical component. And I think they want to fully experience their love with each other before she dies. And I think that's really beautiful. And I don't think that's fair. I'm I'm, so my, you know, limited contact with specifically Catholic teachings is that, you know, that act within the bounds of marriage is beautiful and no one should try to deny it and whatever. And I think it's great that they're like two kids who are hot for each other. Clearly, she's so into this guy. And like, it's great. Let him bone. Bone away. (laughs) God approves. Well, there was one part of me. But of course they did. What are you talking about? They did it that night. Like, like before, between the (laughs) wedding and the reception, they were boning. That's, that's my take. I don't think so. I think the father would have been around and like, a little bit too present for them to sneak away. <laughs> but like I like in my brain they definitely did bang. Like that's not a question in my mind, but there is still like you don't know for sure. In the same no, way you that know. You 100% know. <laughs> I, I I The thing is the film is so chaste, right? And this is made for teenagers who are clearly like this is the kind of the weird juxta- juxtaposition of it. Like the I think the assumption here with the filmmakers and the producers producers are that kids aren't going to be thinking about sex in a sophisticated way. And so it's not even going to enter their mind as a question whether or not Jamie like it's not even going to occur to them to think, did Jamie and Landon have sex before she died? I think when one keeps in mind the um the the what's it, the fake tattoo scene. Mm-hmm. When you couple that with the fact that they got married, married, there's only there's, one. There's answer. a lot of lot of shoulder. Yeah, 
Also, they're two young, good-looking people. Like, I just, I don't see how. What if Landon, for their wedding night, when they were finally alone, and, like, you know, you've got Les Guerrero playing in the background, Mm -hmm. he just, like, shows up with a deck of temporary tattoos. Yep. (laughs) I I mean, it's it's all good. It's all great. Oh, I did not expect to have this particular conversation. Look, I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to pretend that I didn't think that this was an important question that the movie could have addressed with even (laughs) one throwaway line. The the presence of Al Thompson in the movie Mm -hmm. lets us know that these teenagers are thinking about sex. Sex is on their mind. And that was the second part of the thought that I sort of had before which is like the director perhaps i don't know but like the producers the adults making this film are trying to send a story about chaste and respectful love to teenagers teenagers are the ones that are the most sex crazed and again that's sort of like it's a snake eating its own tail this is why they wanted to make the movie blah 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 but anyway this is all to say i'm glad you agree they def spanked of course of course (laughs) okay (laughs) um does is that a good segue into our recurring questions? I mean, I think it is. Is there anything that you didn't get to cover because I was rushing you ahead? Well, no, there were many things. You weren't rushing me. I was literally repeating the movie out loud to you scene by scene, and we have definitely skipped things. So here's the problem. I have the recording clock like the on my computer. Where and for Landon the last several episodes, you've been teach like, him how to dance. Oh, that's really sweet. I made a note about it. <laughs> the problem is I have the recording clock on my computer, and for the past several episodes, you've been like, we got to keep to a thing. Yeah. Like we had, <laughs> we had Jeff here and I went down a side street called Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And you were like, the clock, look at the clock. <laughs> I'm, so I'm looking at the clock and you're like, I'm and being... then the red Camaro that has two white racing stripes pulls up and you hear a slight crunch on the gravel. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. We need I'm consistent sorry. rules. I'm being such a hypocrite. I just, again, like as I was watching this movie last night, oh, this movie, like I can see why it was panned by important. the credits when it came out. Was it? But yeah, it's got like right now I think 37% that's a bad on call. Rotten Tomatoes. I think this is a really good Roger movie. Roger Ebert, my dude, Roger yeah. Ebert, actually praised the performances of Shane West and Mandy Moore in this movie and hearts to Roger Ebert always and forever. So can I ask you a question that you might not be able to answer for mm-hmm. various and sundry reasons? Very excited. Go ahead. The comparison that kept going through my mind about questions of young romance and cancer and young romance and sex and mm-hmm. whatever was, what is the relationship to this movie with Fault the Fallen Our Stars? Stars? I, was, I was so tempted to bring it up when you were yeah. talking about um, the fact that they gloss over her death and how ugly that would have been. And I don't mean ugly as in, I just mean no, it would no, have no. been hard I, and difficult. Like, I don't even know that that's the wrong word to use, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's it's maybe a little flippant to people who have to experience that. But one of the things I loved about that book is that it did not shy away from the fact that when you're when that is happening to your body, unexpected things occur that don't mesh with traditional notions of romance, right? And the movie was very honest about two kids being in love with each other while their bodies this stuff is happening them. to them. Yeah. And oddly, I mean, that's the most terminal illness book ever written, but the fact that it was so honest and so, yeah, just so honest with it made me love that book and I didn't have any of the problems with it I tend to have with those kinds of narratives. And Well, I think it's because John Green recognized, John Green, the author of The Fault mm-hmm. in Our Stars, um, because he did spend so much time with these young mm-hmm. cancer patients and it's 
Like, this is the reason why Landon doesn't believe in God, right? The bone cancer in children. Like, it's how could a just God allow right. that to happen? Not just, like, just that sort of illness upon an innocent is, it's not okay. And yeah. it's, like, I, I'm, I'm speechless right now because there's nothing I can say to that. It's just, it's horrifying and sad and those that have to grapple with it I think are and I don't want to say the bravest people in the world because I think what John Green gets so right at the end is like how can you be brave when your body is literally breaking on you and, and you don't have to be brave right why do we expect that of people like yeah. why isn't it just as okay to be terrified and upset and angry and exactly you are allowed to be human when right. you are going through a very human thing. And and that's why, like, I don't have a problem with Landon saying to the audience, the last summer was perfect. Because if that's the story of it that he has for himself, I think that's beautiful. I think you could have had that while also showing us that this was hard on him and this... Yeah, I think I maybe he could still have said the last summer was perfect even if he spent it by her side right. as she was dying and it was hard and difficult. And but I, it's like it was time with her and that's what made it perfect. And I guess here's the last comment I have on the plot is that I thought the end scene where he shows up to see, I, I will not call him Hegbert, <laughs> the reverend. Um, is very sweet because we show we see that this was a lasting change for him. Mm -hmm. And um, the Reverend tells him some very sweet things like, oh, she did get her miracle. You were her miracle. Yeah. And cut to him basically confirming the argument that you put forth in the movie that we don't know that Langdon believes in God, but he certainly believes in love. And it's Jamie. And he, Jamie, he says love for her Jamie. love is like the wind. I, yeah. I can feel it. Um, he gives... The Reverend, the commonplace book. Mm -hmm. And that threw me for a loop. I, I, Why? Um, the book that her mother gave her and she gave and to she, Landon. And she added to it, right? Mm -hmm. Like it was both of theirs? Yeah. So I, I understand there's obviously it carries a great deal of meaning potentially for the Reverend. Um, this is going to sound a little weird and possibly gross. Okay. But the Reverend is of the past generation he yes. is older he is at the end of his story mm -hmm. langdon is young he is the future and the book's rightful place is with him i think i think mm -hmm. um to carry it forward and bring it into the future and keep her memories alive and it's kind of the only thing of his he has left because they had such a short period of time together and the fact that he was able to part with it um, I think maybe hinted at, at something more honest about his experience over that summer. Like, why was he willing to give it away? I don't know. I am just flashing back to another DVD commentary revelation. <laughs> I think in the initial, if the initial screenplay, Landon was coming back because he was dating someone else. Oh, interesting. And so that sort of meshes with he needed to give the book back right, to so let her go because go. every time he saw it or like even if he's just aware that it's in the apartment, like it, it's a totem for her. Yeah. And if he was going to fully move on with this new person. And so like even if like obviously they deliberately cut that from the movie, but we can still assume he's giving it back because he can't move on yeah. if it's there. Yeah. 
So that's my understanding of okay. why he gives it back. And I mean, not to be too crass, but I think uh, Reverend's going to die one day. And unless he buries the commonplace book with himself, the book's going to come back to Landon, Landon's at some point. Landon's going into the house. And yeah. Ta- yeah. Well, fair <laughs> enough. So. Okay. Fair. Nope. I'm with you. <laughs> On that note, Billy. <laughs> All right. Shall we do our recurring questions? Yes. Uh, the first question is uh, favorite lines from the film. I have already let the world know what my favorite line is in this movie. So I'm, I'm going to give it to you. I'm, I'm with you on that one, but I'll give you the runner-up. Just because the delivery of the line, uh, it maybe that's why Mandy Moore is a star. Okay. That's why she's still acting. Um, Landon is, is very angry. This is one of the scenes where they're talking about her cancer. And mm-hmm. he says, aren't you scared? And she says, to death. Oh, yeah. And it's very funny. Okay. It's very funny. And it's Extra funny because he gets pissed off by that and she's laughing. Okay, but no, you can't bring up that scene and then not let me relive it with you. Okay, let's go. And then he moves into her. Like he moves. (laughs) Phrasing. Yikes. (laughs) Answering some of your earlier questions. (laughs) No, so he moves closer to her and then she moves closer to him. And what she says is, what scares me is not being with you. And then he just like, you can see he's choking up and like, he just goes, oh, baby, that'll never happen. It's just very it's sweet. Very sweet. It's very sweet. See, this is this is why I just like you bring it up. I okay. have to. Okay. No, this is good. I'm into it. Okay. Um. So the next question has to do with popular songs. Right. We've already talked about Switchfoot and the Mandy Moore uh, vehicle that this film was. Like, so she's got is, at least three tracks. In this yeah. Movie. There's only hope, which is the big uh, Eddie Zimmerhoff showstopper. Yeah. There's cry, and then what's the one that runs over the 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 closing credits? It's, I don't know if it's over the closing credits, but it's certainly over one of their montage scenes. There's it's got to be love. That's another Mandy Moore scene. Okay. There is one that airs over the closing credits that my sister played 40 times a day. <laughs> I'll always remember. I'll always remember. That is cry. Yep. hundred <laughs> percent. That is cry. Okay. Good. Um, so I will say this movie, it had a greater breadth of 2002 music than I was expecting. There's some like, um, you know, power, power, pop punk Mm -hmm. trio music that, uh, was kind of fun. There's some really shitty 2002 rock. Yeah. I I can't pretend I didn't love the music in this movie. I know. It was just, it's nostalgic, right? It's just just the stuff you grew up with. Like apparently there's a study that says whatever music was most popular, when you were, it's either you're 13 or 14, mm-hmm. that's the music that no matter what, you're just going to, it's going to make you happy. It's just, it's interesting because this music had no staying power, right? Mm-hmm. Like even, even just, even if you go into the, to the early nineties, right? If, if you were a teenager in that era, mm-hmm. um, you have Nirvana, you have Pearl Jam, you have bands that are still talked about today. Yeah. No one has talked about Switchfoot since November 2002. Like this is this is music Until that right now exactly here in this podcast recording. It's music I haven't thought about in so long. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it makes me it makes me happy. It makes yeah. me think of math class weirdly. I don't know. I still like I remember having Dare You to Move on my iPod shuffle for a really long mm. time and it got to the point where I had to delete it because anytime it came on, I would basically be in tears by the end of it because I would just be with Shane West in that car crying as he realizes his girlfriend is going to die. <laughs> you have a very confused look on your face. Yeah, I 
something has gone wrong in the time space continuum, but if I jump into this, there's going to be a problem. So we're going to have to, this chart. So this is, I just Googled 2002 in music, Mm -hmm. right? And then it's at the top, you get all this stuff. There's a song here called automatic high. Okay. By S club eight. What? There's an S club eight. I, I, Okay, no, we have to like bookmark this and then you and I, once the recording Wait is done. Wait a minute, they were a spinoff of S Club 7. They got an extra person. It doesn't really sound like a spinoff. It sounds like, yeah, they literally just added one person. Maybe that's why the band ended. People were like, <laughs> nope. Nope. I was with you up till 7. We all Eight had is the too dance. many to take. No, but there was the dance, right? You did the Ain't 7 no in the like air. Yeah. We're going to show you how. That's when you did the 7. Yep. Okay. Okay. It would be so, silly if you were doing that. Eight. <laughs> almost certainly has to be the longest time we will respond to the popular songs. Um, a lot of this is going to. Needless get cut. to say, this <laughs> probably makes our age abundantly clear to any listeners. <laughs> the music okay. in this one was yeah okay. Yep. Distinguished older actor who deserves better. You named the two candidates. Um, I I had this moment where I thought I think it's Daryl Hannah that deserves better. But it's only because she was just, she's more famous than Peter Coyote. And so while I think both of these actors deserve better, I think it's a little bit weird to see Daryl Hannah in this movie because you're like, oh, what are you doing here, Daryl? You deserve bigger things. So I'm 100% on board. The problem is the category is called Distinguished Older Actor Who Deserves Better. Neither of them are that old. Well, Daryl Hannah is actually like young, right? I think we have to just do it in comparison to the rest sure. of the cast. For a teen movie, they're old. Yeah. I'll say this. Peter Coyote gets a real character with an arc and mm-hmm. important scenes. Daryl Hannah is like nothing in this movie. I wasn't kidding about the collagen incident. I feel like maybe she was like, so do you need me in this scene? Because my lips are huge. Uh, <laughs> that actually could have been a thing. <laughs> I'm just saying, if you look, you can see it. I do not know what to do with that. I'm just Um, saying facts are facts. Yeah, I mean, there's no... I don't really know Peter Coyote outside of this movie all that well, based on the other roles I've seen him take. This is like a bigger role for him. Mm -hmm. Daryl Hannah has had so many bigger roles. Like, if you want to talk about who deserves better, Mm -hmm. it's Daryl Hannah. Yeah, I agree. Agreed. Great. Okay, so the plot twist. Well, oh, wait, sorry, I skipped next, over. I skipped over. Sorry, go. The next question is the death, but yeah. I think it's tied to the plot twist. It is. And I think we've actually already talked about the death quite extensively and how they don't really allow you to see Jamie die. So I, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. Mm-hmm. We're calling the plot twist when she reveals that she has leukemia. Yes. And the death is her death. I mean, maybe the plot twist would have been Landon at the very end saying, got a new girl. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think this is, it doesn't feel super twisty. No one's trying to pull the rug out from under you. It's, this is a thing. It is revealed. Mm-hmm. It hurts as an and audience they actually, member. They're le- they lead up to it. It's not out of nowhere because there is a scene previous uh, to the reveal in the movie where Rever- the Reverend actually calls Jamie out. Where The rules like, aren't going to change. Yeah, and yeah. she says before, and like when you first hear it the first time, it you don't think anything of it, but she's right. like, you know, Dad, we talked about this. I get to decide how to spend my time. And mm-hmm. clearly, like, that was a conversation they had when yeah. you're like, uh, clock sticking. And then, um, <laughs> sorry, I'm such a jerk. Um, and then, you know, he says to her, when she says, we never actually see Jamie say the initial I love you to Landon. Mm-hmm. We hear her say it to her father first. She right. says, Daddy, I love him. Yeah. It's kind of weird, but whatever. Um, 
And he says, then be fair to him, Jamie. And yeah, that's when we yeah, get. Yeah. Okay, you're right. Yeah. So the plot twist is actually very thoughtfully twisted. Sure. If that makes sense. And yeah. her death, I think, is. I always thought it was very meaningful until we had the conversation that we had just now. And now I feel like it could have been yeah, better handled, but then it would have been a different movie. For sure. All right, let me get Billy's boat corner of the way. I what can't believe you said there are no boats. What is in this boats. movie? They're on a pier, but there are no boats. So this appears to be uh, in a fishing town. We get a number of establishing shots where they're changing <laughs> scenes, where we get about a two. I went, I went with you through the plot <laughs> recap, so now you get Billy's sorry, boat I'm corner. Sorry. <laughs> so uh, there are two or three establishing shots where we just see a marina for like a second before it cuts back to the character. So uh, what do we have for boats uh, this week? Okay, <laughs> we have a couple of what appear to be fishing boats. I'm going to assume this is a fishing community. It doesn't quite track with what we know about about other aspects of the community, but we mm-hmm. see um, clearly industrial boats. They, they appear to be fishing boats. They're nice. They're very nice. Okay. Um, we do see some pleasure boats. There's what appears to be like a, a center console <laughs> boat. Uh, I've driven some of those around like uh, kind of Florida area, so not quite, not quite so the Carolinas, serious. but... Uh, um, they're, they're really fun for that type of water and that type of environment. You go really fast, you're out in the open. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're great. Uh, nobody gets on them. <laughs> nope. However, I did have this note that water safety is apparently very important to Nicholas Sparks because mm. the, you know, the open, the inciting action here is poor water safety with kids diving. And last week, I mean, you heard you heard my thoughts on water safety last, last week. But this was like a pond; it was enclosed. It wasn't mm-hmm. open water. He just belly flopped. But water safety hard. is water safety, right? Like, I mean, yes, water yes. safety enthusiasts will tell you that your bathtub is is a danger, which it is. It is a danger. Um, yes. So we have the fishing boats. We have the center console boat. These are all very nice. To be honest, though, what is really playing the role of the boat in this movie is the '67 Camaro. It, it's you know, <laughs> okay. it's 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 fulfilling that role. Okay. Um, He's working on it in the same way that uh, Costner was working on Malabar. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, Billy's Boat Corner. It's a small corner this week. Uh, I'm hoping we can do better next week. In <laughs> fact, I already know what I'm talking about next week, and okay. I am excited beyond belief. Um, yeah, not not great walk to remember. <laughs> Could have done better. I mean, I think I deserve every single thoughtful word you just said right now. For making you relive the first 20 minutes of this movie as I spoke them out loud. It's fine. I just, <laughs> I might have missed her telling her most important desire in the world, but I caught that there was a center console boat. You did? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Should we include a picture of what a center console boat is no, in the show No, it's fine. Notes? Nobody cares. <laughs> There's absolutely no one who's going to. You know what it is? It's um, Dexter's boat on Dexter. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You have a console in the center of the boat. Right. It's a little little pleasure boat. You just you can you can't take it out that far because they're not quite as stable as like a bigger boat. But they just go very as far fast. as you need to to dump a to body. dump a body. Yep. Okay. All right. I actually don't know if that's true. I don't know where you need to go to dump a body. That might have been an inaccuracy in Dexter, but we're gonna move right on. Okay. So uh, <laughs> we have to rank the movies next. Well, so we got to put it into one of the See, two categories, this right? Is, okay. So listeners, I just need you to know that I, I asked am making, you for the boat corner. I said, you got to no, give me the boat I wanna corner. No, I want to go down with you with the Dexter thing, but we are on a timer. And so listeners, we are making a sacrifice for you right now because if Billy and I were just talking without the camera, I guarantee you oh, it would be 3 a.m. And thoughts. we would be like, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> this is what you need to bury a body at sea. We would know for sure right. definitively. Okay. Okay. We're going to rank these movies. So. We first got to put it into, is it going in the good Sparks box or the bad Sparks box? And you'll recall that last week, 
We um, put message in a bottle in the bad. bad sparks. Yeah. I think I think this is not surprising. Do you want to say it? Which it's box is it going into? It's obviously in the good box. It's in the good box. And as there are no other contenders right now, it is in spot numero uno. Okay. So if you're playing along at home, the top of the bad rankings is message in a bottle, and the top mm-hmm. of the good rankings is a, a walk, walk to, to remember. remember. Okay. Now this, uh, our next question, it took me a while to understand it, but now I'm here for it and I'm so excited. Billy, you actually haven't seen The Notebook. I've seen individual scenes from The Notebook. Okay. I'm pretty sure I know the entire plot start to finish. Okay, so do you know what The Notebook refers to Is it what James Garner is reading out of? Yes. Yes. Okay, then I guessed it. All right, I win this week. Okay, but the fact that you even just said that, listeners, I hope you're as excited as I am for next week's, uh, well, not next week's, uh, well, our next film right, next, discussion, yeah. The Notebook. So I guess we should touch back here. Last week, I guessed that the walk to remember was a walk down the aisle. Mm-hmm. Do we think that's what it is? Is that what she means by to get married in the in the church where her mother I was? I think that is what it has right. to be. There aren't really many other walks in the movie. The only other one it could be is the one they take along the pier where he reveals, where, where they talk about mm. faith and then he says he loves her. Yeah, okay. I mean, like, that is a very memorable walk as well. Okay, so let's say it's a 50-50 chance I got it right, but we next can't week. can't know for sure. Next week, slammed up. I'm so excited to watch I'm, The Notebook I'm and talk about it with you. Legitimately, this is the movie I'm most excited for is The Notebook. Um, and I, I still can't believe you haven't seen it start to finish. Like, what planet were you living on? I think if you were to poll men in North America born in 1986, they would have overwhelmingly the experience with that movie I have of I've probably seen each individual scene. Mm-hmm. I just haven't seen it start to finish. That's not a good thing. I am not commending that that's the state of the world. I'm just saying I bet that is true for more people than you realize. Well, you're older than me, so maybe it was just different from Fuck of my off. age. I'm <laughs> seven months older? What are you? Yeah, get out of here. So much older. <laughs> well, follow us on Twitter at Kim Philly Talk. And we're also very excited to let you know, uh, listeners, that we have an email address now. Yes, we finally arrived in the year 1992. (laughs) (laughs) We have an email. So if you don't have Twitter or you just don't want to tweet at us publicly, you can now send us an email. We would love to hear from you. The address is... Info at kbtpodcast.com. And I guess we'll have a fax number for you next week. (laughs) Um, But seriously, let us know what you think, what you like, what you don't like. If there is anything in particular that you want us to talk about uh, for the next film that we're going to be watching, which again is The Notebook, let us know. Or if you have any issues that you'd like to be brought up on the Kim and Billy Catch-Up. Uh, that's sort of our you know catch-all grab bag uh, thing we're doing every other week. And uh, if there's something that you think maybe we missed in a movie we've already talked about, we could come back to it. Anything like that. And please do reach out because otherwise it's going to be us we're like... so lonely. <laughs> Just an echo chamber of loneliness. <laughs> Huge thank you to Aaron Kosser for our new artwork, which is amazing. We love it so much. And I guess on that note, uh, do we have a sign-off for this movie? Or are, are we sticking with Sail Away with me? No, I don't want to. There's got to be something from a walk to remember that will be a good... Okay, I mean, wait. Are you scared no. to death? Or don't, don't walk away. <laughs> <laughs> our podcast is like the wind. Can't see it, but I sure can feel it. I know, that's perfect. That's perfect. I love it. Okay, let's do it. And so, until next week. Our podcast is like the wind. I can't see it, but I sure can hear it. (laughs) 
see you next week. Bye. There's gotta be. She says you're my angels to him Who's at the one eighth point. Member of S Club Eight. You understand this has broken my brain. This is all <laughs> S Club fucking eight. That's insane. All right, we do need to look up. We can bring that up in the next KBT catch up. We can yeah. have like two minutes dedicated to it. <laughs>